Amanda, remember that time a cult leader sold spider monkeys door to door? And I'm your host, Anna Webb, and this is a podcast where two sisters totally geek out about all their favorite moments in history. Listen, Anna <laughs> usually tells me what the opener is beforehand, and she said she wasn't going to tell me this time, and we, that was take two of our opening, because we were laughing <laughs> too sorry. hard, because I wasn't prepared for that, well, which is so aggressively not the tone of this episode. That's what I was going to say. I really wanted to start with something kind of funny, mm. um, because this is not going to be a funny episode. No, it's not. No. I mean, we will make fun of some things in this episode, but um, it's not going to be very funny. So before we do anything else, I want to give an enormously massive content warning yes. for this episode because we are going to be talking about Jim Jones and Jonestown. Um, if you don't know about Jonestown, there is a big old trigger warning on this episode for basically everything. Yeah. Um, abuse death mentions of suicide cult tactics tactics, um sexual abuse so if you want to skip that this one that is totally okay this accidentally became a true crime month i know we didn't mean to happen but sometimes it does and that's fine i have been really fixated on jonestown lately um you know i've learned a lot about it over the years but i just have been very fixated on it and Mm. i just need to get it out yeah so (laughs) we're gonna talk about it um it is gonna be a tough one though so if you don't if you're not ready for that type of content let's just skip this just move on yeah that's cool um a couple things we are in the same room oh wow (laughs) um i my allergies are so severe so i sound like death that's cool um and because we're in the same room if i'm hacking i deeply apologize (laughs) it will become excessively difficult for me to edit that out so here we are it'll be fine and guess what else Live studio audience, Sawyer, do be hanging out. <laughs> we will not be doing a Sawyer joke this episode because no, it's, it's going to be a little, it's going to be a little depressy. So yeah, it's a sensitive topic. Yeah. Um, we don't really want to make light of it. So, yeah. um, okay, I think that's it. I know. I'm just trying to think, make sure that's it for housekeeping things yeah, at I think the start. Knows. I think knows. Um. Oh. Okay. Let's do a drink update, and okay. then I'll get back to it. Okay. We're having got? some red wine. Delightful. I have a cider on deck, but I am, in fact, having water because I sound the way that I do. Yeah. So here I am. And you gotta. Drinking water. Yeah. Um, so a very big source that I used for these notes for our podcast um, is the YouTuber Stephanie Harlow. I don't know if anybody out there watches Stephanie Harlow. She mostly does true crime stuff, but she has some series on cults. And she did a four-part series on YouTube about Jonestown. And it is so in-depth. I've watched a lot of documentaries on Jonestown. Nothing has ever been as in-depth as her videos. It's like four hours of content. Wow. So if you're looking for like a really deep, deep dive, I highly recommend her videos. Stephanie um, with an IE and Harlow with an E at the end. Um, And I did use them a lot as research among other documentaries and things but um you'll recognize probably if you go and watch her videos a lot of detail um cool in this and i did have to leave some stuff out because again 
she made four hours of content on it, and this is not this going is to be a big topic. Hours. Yeah. Okay, so are you ready? Yes, I am. Can I ask how much do you really know about um, the basics? I would say I know like the um, cultural knowledge kind of okay. stuff. My one of my best friends growing up did an elementary school um, social studies project on Jonestown. Sorry, was just telling me someone they, that they went to school with did it's a social studies project yeah, on Jonestown. And I remember oh, yeah, that's right. she okay. made a um, little like 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 little Barbies or like Polly Pockets. <gasps> that is sad. Yeah, as okay. her artifact. I remember that wow, okay. very vividly. Um, but I don't remember that much detail. Like okay. I I know the basics. Okay. Yeah. All right. So. James Warren Jones is born May 13th, 1931 in Crete, Indiana, to James Thurman Jones and Lynetta Jones. Um, his father is a disabled World War I veteran. He um, suffered um, from, he was part of a mustard gas attack. Oh. So he had really bad um, breathing difficulties sure. and was like disabled most of his adult life um and this obviously leads to a lot of financial difficulties for the family because he can't really work and he's in and out of the hospital a lot Mm -hmm. um so in 1934 during the great depression the family is evicted from their house because they can't make mortgage payments and their relatives, so his father's relatives, kind of take care of them okay. for a while. They buy them, like, a shack, basically, to live in, because that's what they can afford right. to buy for them. Um, so his childhood home did not have plumbing or electricity. Because okay. he lived in, like, a shack. Right. Um, his parents are both pretty absent during his childhood, um, his father obviously is pretty ill, um, but they the town that they live in is like very like the town from Footloose. So like they were a dry county before and after Prohibition. Okay, they don't really you know partake in worldly pleasures substances yeah so but his dad does spend a lot of time like at the local joint like playing cards Uh uh-huh you know he's got his vices yeah um and his mother is kind (laughs) of kooky she's not very maternal she is very odd for this time. She believes okay. in reincarnation. Oh, okay. She thinks she's had many past lives where uh, she was this, like, great woman. She'd actually been married a couple times before. She married Jones' okay. father. And she really believes that her son is, like, destined to be this great. She, like, had a dream about some sort of, like, Egyptian goddess, like, coming to her and telling her that, like, her son was going to be this great man. Um, So she really enables Jim in a lot of his behavior. Yikes. Um, So they're growing up in this very kind of conservative religious town, Uh and the local um, Nazarene church's pastor's wife really takes an interest in Jim. Myrtle Kennedy is her name. She gives him a Bible. She and her husband would take him to church on Sundays and to Sunday school. Um, Jim Jones's family, his parents do not attend church. They're uh-huh. like the only people in town who don't go to church. Okay. Um, so all the church ladies in town start trying to get Jim uh-huh. to come. Trying to like adopt kid. this kid. Yeah. yeah. 
Um, so throughout his childhood, he actually attends like every church in the area. <laughs> Sometimes he would leave one church service. He'd like sit through half of one and then go to another, huh. the other half. Um, and he's actually baptized in several of the churches. Ha, that's really funny, actually. Baptismal phone hopping. <laughs> yeah, baptismal yeah, hopping. This week, I'm down at the Methodist. Next week, I have to go to the Baptist <laughs> church because I'm getting baptized again. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. Born again, 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 again. <laughs> that's right. Um, he, his mother generally does not a- approve of him going to church because uh-huh. she's not very religious. And she would always say that she doesn't believe in any sky god. And this is an important detail. Okay. Um, uh, Jim has a knack for memorizing Bible verses and reciting them. Sure. Um, And he's particularly impressed with the pastors and how they can, like, command their space. Of course. Um, When he's young, he frequently visits a local casket manufacturer um in their town that's weird well it's about to get weirder if you thought that was weird just wait okay he often holds mock funeral services for roadkill and other dead animals in the town okay and he would like make the other neighborhood kids come to them sure after a while the other kids stop because it's like the first couple times it's like Oh, this is like a thing we never took out. The, the do raccoon that. died. Yeah, let's and then after throw a while, funeral. Yeah, yeah, and then after a while, it's like, this kid's this still is like did, the This is third weird. this week. That's yeah. weird. So he just does it by himself. Okay, well. Yeah. Even when he is young, he claims to have, like, supernatural abilities. He oh boy. thinks that he can fly. Oh, sick. At and, one, how, and how'd that go for him? Well, yeah. at one point, he leaps off of a building's roof. Yeah, yeah, yeah. To demonstrate. Uh-huh. But he breaks his arm. Shocked. Because he can't fly, because he's a human person. Uh-huh. Um, or so you think. <laughs> he would put the other kids often in very dangerous situations. Sure. And he would tell them that he is guided by the angel of death. Oh, cool. So, mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Yeah, Okay. Um, he... What, and again, this is, what, the 30s, 40s? When 40s, was he born? yeah. Yeah? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, wow. Okay. Yeah. He, as you might imagine, has a hard time making friends. Have shocked. Um, he is, even from a very young age, obviously, <clears throat> known around town to be obsessed with religion and death, and the other kids do not want to hang out with them. Yeah, that's, um, that, just, it's already, obs- uns- like, unsettling for that to be a thing yeah. generally yeah. but then when it is a child it is like extra God, there's so much more weird stuff about I don't it like as that. a kid Amanda. yeah i don't like that <laughs> he frequently steals candy from the stores sure um and his mother gets into the habit of going to the stores at the end of the day uh-huh. paying for what he stole and then not punishing him because for she thinks she is very proud of him for just like taking what he wants. So she doesn't want she the lesson she wants to instill in her son is be a go getter. Take what you want. Don't ask for permission. Not don't, don't take things law. that don't belong to you. Yeah. So great. We're off to a great start. Yeah. Um, when he's a young, he is not terribly politically interested. Okay. In like what is actually going on. However, he does study 
Mm-hmm. Adolf Hitler. Oh, God. Joseph Stalin. Uh-huh. Karl Marx. And Gandhi. Because it would have been, like, right when those folks were mm-hmm. on the rise. Because he is fascinated with them as, like, speakers mm-hmm. and their ability to hold a crowd. Right. Even when he is a kid, he is fascinated with this ability of people to, in his hold mind, attention. control yeah. a crowd and hold people's attention. Yeah. Um, when World War II starts, he is intensely interested in the Nazi party. Of course he is. And he is absolutely fascinated with how Hitler got people to do the things he wanted them to do. Yeah, he was a little fascist. Yes. He would base, he would like, so, you know, during World War II, like the other kids are like playing soldier, Uh right? That's like a normal thing Uh that kids do. And they all were like, I don't want to be the Germans because they all wanted to be the American soldiers. But Jim wants to be a dictator, and he gathers, like, because he has a lot of family around him, Uh so he would gather, like, his cousins and Uh stuff, and he would, like, play dictator. He orders them to goose step together, Uh and if they disobey, he, like, beats them. Oh, my God. To the point where, like, the kids go home and tell their parents, like, hey, man, like, Jim is being really weird. And the parents go to his mom, um, and they're like, hey, bro. Control um, your kid. What the heck? And she's like, no. Jim care. Oh my god. Yeah. Oh my god. Now, when Jim gets a little older and he's in high school, um, he gets in the habit of like wearing his Sunday clothes every day. Okay. So you know, you wear like your Sunday yeah. best, and in the towns like this, that's like a suit. And he wears it every day to school, right, around town. Weirdo. Um, he carries his Bible with him everywhere. He frequently confronts his other classmates for, like, drinking and smoking and dancing. Uh-huh. Better not. Uh-huh. Um, he doesn't, <laughs> he does not like participating in sports because he doesn't like to lose, and also he's not very good. Um, but he is a very good leader, so he would often coach, like, younger kids in sports, like in baseball and stuff. Um, and he actually... Um, and so in 1945, his parents separate, right? And he and his mother moved to Richmond, Indiana. And while he's in Richmond, he's like kind of coaching baseball teams Uh and he's at a baseball game and he is absolutely appalled by the treatment of the black players and fans. Interesting. This is very big for Jim Jones. If you don't know. Okay. He is strongly anti-racist huh so when we talk about his fascinating because he was fascinated with fascists yes he did not agree with them politically at all and that's why it's so interesting that's weird yeah because that's how fixated this kid was on being that type of figure without is that. that he didn't care what they believed that's so weird yeah that's really weird because the problem is most people who are obsessed with that type of person is because they're falling for their tricks, mm-hmm. but he was trying to study how to yeah. convey their tricks. He was not one to fall for those right. types of people. He was studying them. That's so weird. idolizing them. That's so weird. Yeah. Ugh. I don't, um, li- I don't like that. Yeah. While he's in Richmond, he starts going into black neighborhoods and he will stand on the street corners and preach about equality. And, huh. um, you know, at first, the people in the neighborhoods are like, what 
is this white what kid? Is he, what is he doing? But they start to, you know, because he's saying good stuff for the most part uh-huh. at that point, you know. Um, so, it's weird. So, in 1946, okay, so his parents have separated, right? So, they are, they do eventually divorce. So, he and his mother are no longer getting financial support from his father's family. Right. Because they were the ones taking care of him. And that's part of why they move, right? Because uh-huh. they can't really stay there anymore. Um, so, he needs to get a job. So, in 1946, he takes a job at Richmond's Reed Hospital, and he's working as a night orderly. Okay. And he is very well liked there and he is known for um dealing with the like patients that kind of nobody else wants to deal with. Sure, okay. Right? The grumpy ones uh-huh. or you know, and he is very good with them and he's seen as being like really compassionate toward them. Right. And while he's working at the hospital, he meets and begins dating a young nurse in training there, Marceline May Baldwin. I will probably switch off between calling her Marceline and Marcy. She went by Marcy most okay. of the time. Um, her father is on the city council, and her family is very Republican. Okay. Conservative, religious. Uh-huh. Um, she is kind of known to rebel a little bit. Like, I, I, there's an anecdote that Stephanie Harlow says in her video where she says that Marcy once told her parents that she was going to vote Democrat just to see them react. <laughs> but she really is, like... She really wants believes to, the same stuff. And, yeah, and she yeah. wants to help people. She's, uh-huh. like, got a deep desire to help people. Though she, But she is religious. She uh-huh. is very religious. And we'll come back to that here in a minute. Um, in November of 1948, he Jim moves to Bloomington, Indiana, to go to Indiana University, Bloomington, um, with the intention of becoming a doctor. Right. But he changes his mind at okay. some point. This is common in Jim Jones's life. Like, he wants to be all these things, and then he'll, like, lose it. Switch interest. it, yeah. Um, during his time at school, he attends a speech by Eleanor Roosevelt, and he's very impressed with her. Me too. Um, because she is talking about the plight of African Americans. Yes. Um, I love Eleanor Roosevelt. We've yeah. done an episode on her. She's a gem. She, yeah, she rules. Um, and he starts to... Um, become sympathetic toward communism. So he's very interested in communism. and Comrade! Yeah. <laughs> At a very dangerous time to be interested uh, in communism. Oh, we're gonna get there. Oh. So, um, Marcy and Jim get married on June 12th, 1949. <clears throat> um, and when they get married, she's, like, very excited because, uh... All outward appearances suggest that Jim is a religious man. Yeah, he seems it. And she is a devout Methodist. Um, and she's like, great. Yeah. This is wonderful. Um, and they spend a lot of time because he's kind of still living in Bloomington. And she's finishing up school and, and stuff. And so he would come, he would live away and then come back and stay with her and her family, like on the weekends and uh-huh. stuff. And Until he finished up school. And there's like a big old blowout because he announces to the family that he is an atheist. <laughs> now, <laughs> you might be shocked to hear that Jim Jones is an atheist. Uh-huh. I wouldn't be if I were you. <laughs> um, he tells them that he does not believe in any sky god. Right. Which is a thing he ends up saying a lot throughout yeah. his life. I wonder yeah. where he got that. Um, well, and I think it makes sense. Well, I'm sure we'll get into it more later, but like people like that tend to only believe in themselves as a god. Oh yeah, hundred um, percent. And also, yes. again, he was fascinated mm-hmm. not in the religious teachings, but in the way that religion is taught. Yep, absolutely. Yeah. And in the 
um, narratives taught and yeah. how those are used to control. He found interest. Yes, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, he is also really opposed to the Methodist Church because at this time they are very segregationist. Yes, it was. Be- it was in the before times. Yeah, it was in the before times. Um, and this obviously causes a lot of arguments between Marcy and Jim because imagine. You just married this man that you thought was this, like, devout Christian, and now he's telling you, he's atheist. I mean, I'm an atheist. And I'm against your religion because it's yeah, racist. Yeah. yeah. They go back and forth about it a lot. Um, he kind of does, he's like, okay, I'll go to church, but I'm only going to go to the full gospel tabernacle. Sure. Which is more he wants better. to go to, he wants to, he does he not want to go to, he church. doesn't want to go to a uh, Methodist church, he wants he to wants go to a Pentecostal yeah. church. Yes, absolutely. Um, of course he does. But he does compromise, and he sometimes goes to a Methodist church with mm-hmm. her on Sunday mornings. Um, yeah, I but, can't. I can't imagine Jim Jones going to a Methodist church. Well, oh my god, he'd oh be, Amanda, there's going to be he'd more. He'd be of that. so bored. There's going to be a lot more of that. Yeah, um, we will be talking more about that. Yeah, <laughs> um, and but privately, he's like trying to get Marcy to like Ditch accept religion. atheism. Yeah, it's like okay. Um. So eventually. They moved to Indianapolis in 1951. Why? So that Jim can study law. Because now he wants to be a lawyer. That makes a lot more sense Yeah, to me. but again, it doesn't last. Right. But while he's in Indianapolis, he starts attending gatherings of the Communist Party USA. Sure, of course. And at these gatherings, of course, there are <coughs> officials outside of these meetings. Uh-huh. And now Jim thinks he is very, very special because... Uh-huh. The government, FBI, they're interested uh-huh. in him and people like him. Uh-huh. And actually, he and his family do face some harassment. Um, and By because, the FBI and stuff. Yeah, because they are it's, now affiliated with the Communist Party in 1952. It's the height of the Red Scare. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, his mother at one point is harassed by FBI agents in front of her co-workers because she had gone to one of the meetings uh-huh. with him. God, so, you want to talk about a cult, talk about the freaking cult of fear of the Red Scare, because oh, yeah. that's something else. It oh, my gosh. Mm. So, now, this is my opinion. Uh-huh. <laughs> this is my commentary on the situation. Uh-huh. Now, Jim Jones has an enemy. Yeah. Right? Um, I am doing this thing that is off the grid. And, and it's supposed dangerous. to help people. And, and, yeah, yeah, and I'm special for this. Uh-huh. And now the government wants to stop me. And yeah. they're coming after my family. Yeah. So here we are. Okay. You're going to be like, what? What? what did, didn't we just talk about this? Okay. In early 1952, Jim Jones says to his wife and her family that he is going to become a Methodist minister. <laughs> oh my god okay all right because he at this point believes that the church is ready to quote put real socialism into practice now which actually that's what i was just it's about true to say. <laughs> yeah at this point the methodist church has started to undergo a reformation yes um so they are moving towards some more progressive policies historically there is a lot of socialism in methodist yes. practices yeah and jim wants to get in on the ground, ground level floor. yeah <laughs> wants to be yeah. part of it it's right at the time of the merger yeah yep. yeah he wants to be yep. a part of it so oh, man. in the summer of 52 he is hired as a student pastor to the children at the somerset Southside methodist church oh god 
Um, and he launches a project there to create a playground that is open to children of all races. Sure. So this is like his An integrated project. playground. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and he starts actually attending a lot of other black churches in the area uh-huh. because he wants to see how they do it. Well, and it right? is at the time when the Methodist Church is starting to merge Integrate. with the uh, American Episcopal. Yes. Yeah. So it's, yeah. Mm-hmm. But then in early 1954, he's dismissed from his position. Um, The Methodist Church says that it is because he was stealing funds. Uh, Shocked. Shocked. He says that he left because they were not integrating fast enough. He was too far ahead of them. Yeah. But the truth is that around 1953, he starts visiting um, Pentecostal Latter Rain conventions. Now, the Latter Rain movement really believes in um faith healing yes so he goes to he starts going to these conventions he goes to one in columbus indiana um and a woman there prophesizes that he will be a prophet with a great ministry oh my god pentecost okay we can't, I can't uh, oh there's a that. lot about pentecost i know Amanda. i know i've got things to say and i can't <laughs> say them all Um, and so he's like, well, this kind of is going to give me more of an opportunity, really, to become a preacher. And he convinces his wife to leave the Methodist Church and join the Pentecostals. Oh, man. Well, I'm sure, and I'm sure to her, it's, well, at least he's interested in religion. Absolutely, Amanda. Like, this is good enough for me because it's still religion. You hit it right on the head. That is absolutely true. I truly believe that Marcy gets really dragged along in all of this. She just wanted to save his soul. She wants to believe in him. Yeah. Um, Yeah. She just wants him to believe in God also. Yeah. Um, So... In 1953, he starts attending and preaching at the Laurel Street Tabernacle in Indianapolis, and that is a Pentecostal Assemblies of God church. And he holds healing revivals there until around 1955. And, of course, we just said he gets booted out of the Methodist church in 54. So my thought is, I think he was just too Pentecostal for the Methodists. Yeah, he was. You know? Yeah. Um, but he starts traveling and speaking at other churches that are in the Latter Rain movement, you know? Sure. Um, but the church that he was preaching in um, is an Assemblies of God church, uh-huh. and they are opposed to the Latter Rain movement. So he's kind of trying to play both sides of the Pentecostal coin uh-huh. here. Um, and it is not... Working. working out. So in 1955, they assign a new pastor to their tabernacle. Um, and that pastor enforces a denominational ban on healing revivals. So Jim can't hold healing revivals there anymore. Okay. Um, the revivals are, you can see video of his. Oh my God. And they are, um, absolutely wild. There's a, because obviously the way that they would do these big shows is they would have plants uh-huh. in the crowd. Uh-huh. There is a very famous video of Jim holding one of these services. And there's like an older woman in a wheelchair. And he says, get up. Uh-huh. And she gets Stand up real slow. Walks, Ta- yeah. walk, take a step. And she takes a step. Walk toward me. And she starts walking. And then she starts running. Right. And she's lifting her hand. And in another documentary, I heard someone that used to be a member of his um, congregation say, um, you know, it wasn't until later I found out she was one of his secretaries, like, disguised. Yeah. Dressed up. Um, They would 
um, frequently do uh, what he called cancer healings. And this is a big oh, trigger warning because it's gross what he does here. He would say, um, oh, I, se- I sense it. You have, you have been afflicted with cancer. You don't even know it yet. Go into the bathroom with my, you know. Associate or whatever. Yeah. And, and then he would say, preach from the pulpit and say, you're healed. And they'd come out of the bathroom with this, this is gross, like a mass in their hands that he would say, oh, that's it. That's the cancer. It was like rotted chicken livers. That oh. he, and he wouldn't let people get close. He would say, you can look, but don't come too close because um, you could be afflicted if uh. you touch it. I mean, it's wild. That's ridiculous. It's wild. And there's video of him doing these. I mean, uh-huh. it's wild. Um, so, in 1955, Jim decides to start his own church. He opens it in a storefront, and he calls it Community Unity. Um, it initially doesn't attract many new members, because nobody really in town kind of knows who this guy is right. yet. Um, and most of the members are from poorer parts of the community. So they can't really tithe in a way that will keep the church going. Yeah. Um, so Jim starts selling spider monkeys door to door. That's wild. He does he sells other things too, but that was his main there are photos you can find photos of Jim Jones with these monkeys. That's crazy. It is crazy. Um, yeah. Stephanie has a good like anecdote in her uh-huh. videos about it, but it yeah, it's wild. Um he sets himself apart from other leaders by directly serving his congregants. Uh-huh. Are your lights out? Okay. We'll pay the bill. He, yeah. No, he calls the, you know, Electricid. electric yeah. company and says, get their lights back on and, yeah, and they'll pay the bill or whatever. Uh-huh. You know, he solves their problems right there. And that makes them very reliant on him. Yeah. You know. And it says, here is a tangible reward for your belief in me, Yeah, what I'm saying. Yeah. Um, throughout this time, he keeps working on the revival circuit. He's very popular because of his healing services. And now he's getting more of a following, so he's getting more plants in these services. Uh-huh. And more um, people coming regularly who believe what he's saying to yeah. hype the crowd up. And yeah. Yeah. Um, he adopts... Th- a doctrine from latter rain that is called the manifested sons of God. And this is the belief that individuals can become manifestations of God with supernatural gifts. Okay, sure. Um, and obviously he pushes this for the rest of his life. Uh-huh. Um, and they believe that those manifestations signal the second coming of Christ. Okay. And that the people endowed with these gifts will usher in a new age of heaven on earth. Okay. Um, so his congregation is um, growing a little bit more and they, they grow out of their storefront and he purchases an old Jewish temple that's empty. Um, hey, that sucks. Yeah. On, feels, that feels bad. Well, yeah it is Uh on north delaware street in indianapolis and because the building still has the word temple on it Uh this is where he gets the name the people's temple because the building already had it on there yeah oh god that sucks extra yeah and also it is spelled peoples with no apostrophe so like many peoples yes yeah yeah people's temple yeah um, so the church has a lot of elderly congregants, sure. and Jim and Marcy decide to open up um, 
a senior living center at first in their own home to give the seniors in their community a comfortable place to live. Right. And this kind of becomes part of their mission. They take over and revamp several senior living centers in the area. Um, they, so these facilities bring in a lot of donations for the church. Um, and also the church is helping with the renovations. And also they provide jobs sure. for his congregants. Sure. So we're a lot of whom are poor and homeless and need work. And black. Yes. And there so we're gonna talk a little bit here now about things that you're gonna go, Oh, this Jim Jones guy kinda did some good stuff. And it's until, true. Until he did. He did yeah. do some good stuff. But I'm gonna talk in a minute about why we'll, we'll get back to that. yeah okay so here are the other things he did um they the church opens a free restaurant which is a simple essentially a soup kitchen right um that but it is free anybody <clears throat> can come and get a meal they have a lot of clothing drives they bring mm. in a lot of clothes that then they bring to the restaurant people can just come and get what they need mm. um they have a lot of youth programs in the area Free child care facilities uh-huh. for the parents who have to work and can't afford child care. Um, you know, he really builds up this community right. in a very big way. Yeah. My issue with it, and this is kind of kind of lead into my next point, uh-huh. is that, okay, did Jim Jones believe in racial equality? Yes. However, his motivation was not so that everyone could have the things they deserved. Mm-hmm. It was so that everyone I, see him as the Jim hero. Jones, yeah. can be the person to bring about racial equality. Right. Because he, I am a genius, and I am important, and they cannot do it without me. He provided for others because he wanted to be their hero figure. Yes. And to be worshipped for the help that he gave. But, I mean, he not did because, believe it was the right thing to do. Right. That's true, but it just... It wasn't because... He always had that underlying... It wasn't for the sake of helping those people. It was for the sake of making himself look like a god. And here is where more of that comes in. Right. So, Jim and Marcy decide they want to start a family. Mm -hmm. Um, Jim calls this family, this is his term, a rainbow family. Because they adopt a lot of kids Uh from different cultures cultures and races. So in 1954, they adopt their first child, Agnes, who is part Native American. Uh In 1959, they adopt three Korean-American children who are all biologically related, Uh um, Lou, Stephanie, and Suzanne. And they start encouraging members of the temple to also adopt children of I remember this about him. Yeah, and they start encouraging them to adopt kids from Korea because Korea is war-torn at this point, right? Um. Now, Stephanie, one of these three children, actually sadly dies in a car accident when she is pretty young. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, yeah, at the age of five yeah. in 1959. It's very sad. Um, in June of 1959, they give birth to their only biological child, uh-huh. and his name is Stephen Gandhi. Oh, my God. And then in 1961, they become the first white couple in Indiana to adopt a black child. Okay. They name him Jim Jones Jr. I remember that. Oh, yeah. And it's just another example of like, okay. Yeah. You wanted, okay. Yeah. And there's a, Jim Jones Jr. has done um, other interviews. He's been in documentaries and stuff. And he said that his father would always refer to him as my adopted black son. 
Yeah. Jim Jones Jr. Yeah. Not my, my son. Not even my adopted son. Yeah. <laughs> not even. Not even my, my black, black son. son. <laughs> right. So it was clearly. Now, do All I think show. that, you know, Jim Jr. like loved his parents and had like a pretty good life up until the bad stuff started happening sure yeah um but it's very clear that this was all like well this is the thing that a lot of people don't understand about um just sort of religious trauma generally is that for a long time it feels very good yes until it stops feeling very yeah. good like yep. um they also adopt another son um he is white and he is um his name is timothy glenn and he's actually the <sighs> child of a member of the temple um who needed support or whatever yeah i can't remember exactly what happened there and he jim jones fathers another kid um with a temple member i was gonna say not with marcy yeah he has many affairs and we'll we can touch a little bit more well i cut out a lot of the stuff about sex in this just because it's like a a lot yeah but we can touch on it a little bit later Okay, so Jim now is deciding to get more involved with politics because, right. you know, I can affect He's, change this way. Yeah. And he supports a lot of liberal candidates, both locally and, you know, nationally. Mm-hmm. Um, in 1960, Indianapolis Mayor Charles Boswell appoints Jim Jones as director of the local Human Rights Commission. Sure. Um, and Boswell is kind of like, you should kind of like keep a low profile. And Jim Jones says, no and he (laughs) i respectfully i won't be doing that yeah he's like on radio and tv programs talking about his programs and and whatever yeah yeah um it's 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 so weird like you know knowing what we know now yeah thinking back historically that there are like documents that say jim jones human rights council like i know ew i hate that it's unsettling yeah i hate that um, but during his time as commission director, he really goes hard on racially integrating sure. the town. Churches, restaurants, the telephone company, uh-huh. the police department. And this is, what, early 60s? Yeah. Yeah. And, and you know, Indianapolis. It was not as segregated north, as others, but, but it was. It, the, the further you get into the Midwest, the more similar it got to the South. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so it's not like, you know, being in... New York State or whatever, like, yeah. This is interesting. In 1961, he suffers a collapse of some kind, and Uh he's hospitalized. And the hospital accidentally puts him in their ward for black patients, Uh and he refuses to be moved. He starts making the beds and emptying the bedpans of the black patients, and this puts a lot of political pressure on the hospital, uh-huh. and it results in the hospital desegregating their wards. That's crazy. Yeah. That's he wild. would hold these little protests. Uh-huh. He would, like, um, go into restaurants two o'clock in the afternoon uh-huh. and say, I have a huge group. They don't have any business right now. Uh-huh. He would pick these times. Uh-huh. They're not busy. They want the business. I have a huge group of people. Would you be able to accommodate us? And they say, yes, you're Jim Jones. You're an important Respected person in member the community. Of the community. We can, of course, accommodate you. And he would pur- purposefully go to segregated restaurants uh-huh. or restaurants that would not allow black um, patrons. Uh-huh. And he would say, great. And then he would say, come on in. And his whole congregation of both black and white people would come in. And the owners would be like, what? And he'd be like, well, you already said that we'd be here. And if right. you don't, now I'm going to cause a fuss. Uh-huh. 
and they and they it would cause them to basically de- and then he'd say you desegregate I can send business your way mm-hmm. and he would my pay- my yeah parishioners will eat at your restaurant yeah like, yeah and I will tell everybody approved by me yeah yeah um now <laughs> around the start of the 60s Jim Jones is becoming more and more paranoid mm. um in 1961, he starts t- warning his followers that he has received visions that there will be a nuclear attack that will completely decimate Indianapolis. Because this is also the height of the arms race. Yes. I love the 60s. <laughs> so he um, starts looking for a way to escape this potential destruction. This, I think, is when Jim really starts kind of believing his own. Really going off the rails. Crap, for lack of, we don't yeah. curse on this podcast. Yeah. Um, so in January of 1962, he reads an article in Esquire magazine that um, says, here are all the best places to live if, if you there want to be is safe a from nuclear, nuclear disaster. Yeah. And one of them is South America. So he's like, all right, I'm going to s- travel to South America and try to s- scout out a new spot for the People's Temple. And he decides he's going to go to Brazil. Brazil. On his way to Brazil, he stops in Georgetown, Guyana, which uh-huh. is the capital city of uh-huh. Guyana. Now, Guyana, Guyana at the time is a British colony, and yes. it is mostly English-speaking. Yes. And he holds some revival meetings there, and he gets a pretty good response. Yeah. It's a religious town, too. Yeah. yeah. He moves on to Brazil, uh-huh. and he finds, once he gets there, that a couple things. One, it is um, there is a big language barrier. Sure. They don't speak English there. Of they course. speak Portuguese. And two, the area is heavily saturated with religious, charismatic religious yes. traditions. Yes. And he... He would not be able to... Um, he can't find a foothold. BS his way through. Yeah. Again, we do not curse no, on this he podcast, would, but... He would never say, I couldn't yeah. find a foothold there, yeah. because he cannot admit defeat. But he wouldn't but be able... The truth. He basically had too much competition. He did. Would Absolutely. not be able to 100%. unrevival these folks into his revival, absolutely. right? Absolutely. That's absolutely it. Yeah. And Can also... Finish your thought, and then I have to go to the bathroom. Okay. Also, the um, situation... he Back home, his church is not really thriving without him. New people aren't coming because Jim Jones is not there, yeah. first of all. And racial situation there is continuing to improve without him there and uh-huh. he's kind of like uh oh they're doing what's it my what's me. my new bit yeah what can i do now that exactly. this is now that this is happening without me now that it's a national movement uh-huh. not just in my town what what so, part do i hold yeah. in it so he decides to go home sure so, so he returns to indiana in 1963 um the church is not doing financially well because you know people are leaving and attendance is low so he is forced to sell the building that the People's Temple is in, and they move to a smaller building, like, close by. Okay. Um, <clears throat> he starts amping up this nuclear rhetoric, and he starts telling the people of his congregation that um, the world will soon be in- engulfed by nuclear war. Right. Um, on July 15th, 1967, yeah. specifically. Excuse me, specifically. Um, and this will lead to a new socialist Eden on Earth. Of course. Because um, why wouldn't it? Yeah. So, but they need to move somewhere for safety so they can then survive this and then build their number. So, from that same article, he learns that they should go to Northern California. Uh-huh. 
Um, so in July of 1965, he and his group start moving out to a new location that he had found in Redwood Valley um, in California. It's near the city of Ukiah. And, like, encourages all these people to leave. Yeah, about 140 of his, like, biggest supporters go with him. Okay. And they go on buses. Right. In the 60s. Uh-huh. From Indiana to California. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Big trip. Um, while they're in California, he takes a job as a history and government teacher um, at an adult education school in Ukiah because he needs money. Uh-huh. Um, and he uses this position to recruit for the People's Temple. He starts telling his students the benefits of Marxism and he's lecturing on religion, even though that's not what he's teaching. Sure. Um, and he starts planting loyal members of the people's temple in his classes uh-huh. to like talk him up, you know? Sure. It's kind of his thing. Wow. Um, so he's continually frequently warning his followers about this imminent apocalyptic nuclear race war. Uh-huh. Um, and he claims that Nazis and white supremacists are going to put people of color into concentration camps. And hey, that's really funny, buddy, coming from I know, right? Mr. Mr. Hitler worshiper himself. Also, technically, I think Jim's father was a member of the of the KKK. Shocking. Um just color me shocked. <laughs> I think I've read that somewhere. Ew. Um but he says, but I am the Messiah sent to save Oh, of course. Okay, so now he's the Messiah. Um, he's a, He is officially the and, Messiah. And the only way to escape this threat is to accept his teachings. Uh-huh. Um, and after it's all over, we will emerge as a perfect communist uh-huh. society. This, he's preaching utopia, basically. Absolutely yeah. he is, yes. Um, so after they move to California, though, this is when Jem starts really abusing drugs okay and this only heightens his paranoia yeah and his delusions of grandeur yes and he becomes more and more violent Uh uh-huh he establishes this group called a planning commission sometimes Uh you'll hear it just referred to as pc the pc Uh um and it's made up of like his he calls them his like lieutenants uh-huh. um and they are meant to direct the people's temples communal lifestyle that okay. they're trying to build um he starts really controlling all the aspects of the temple members lives uh-huh. um they turn over all their assets to the church uh-huh. members um in exchange for free room and board um the members who work outside of the temple turn over their income for the benefit of the community. Uh, um, and, and this is why we should have more regulations on church runs. Anyway. Yeah. So that's an aside. 100%. <laughs> um, cough, cough, Scientology. Yeah, for real. He starts directing groups of his followers to work on different projects to get additional income. Right. Um, and set up an agricultural operation in the Redwood Valley okay. to grow food. Yeah. Um, it's a commune. He's making a comment. Yes. And they have more community outreach projects similar to kind of what they were doing in Indiana. Right. Um, but the temple members are frequently bused to these different areas to do this kind of community work. Uh-huh. And in some of the documentaries I've watched where ex-members would talk, would say they would just work all day long. Hours, yeah. All day long. And they would talk to each other, how many hours did you sleep last night? Oh, I got two last night. 
oh, I only got one last night. And they talk, you know, it's like Competing crazy. for who. Kind yeah. of, yeah. Or just like, or just like, oh, yeah, I got two, three. Yeah. You know, it was just normal for them. Yeah. Um, and then around this time is when serious um, cases of abuse start kind of coming forward uh-huh. in the People's Temple. Um, the Planning Commission would really carry out the discipline uh-huh. against members who didn't fulfill what Jones wanted. Uh-huh. Um, and he, this is, when, okay, we're going to touch on it a little bit here. This is when Jen starts to really try to control people's sex lives uh-huh. and who they could marry. Uh-huh. Um, many of the members of the church are coerced into abortions. Uh-huh. Um, he starts requiring sexual favors from the women. He definitely assaults many of the men uh-huh. um you can hear tapes of him preaching to his congregation uh-huh. about how it, like it's so frustrating how i have to have sex with all these people in order to keep our community going you wouldn't be- and he's like like disgusted you wouldn't believe the people the things i have to put up with and he's <laughs> talking about having sex with people and Uh i mean it is bizarre it's It's bizarre and i won't go much further than that but they if you watch documentaries about jonestown you will hear these yeah you will hear these recordings yeah it's absolutely wild so by the end of 1969 which is of course when we went to the moon um of course (laughs) the people's temple is growing a lot more he's getting a lot of members in california um because he's talking about economic socialism and racial equality and living off the grid, which people are very yeah, into and the, in the people's 60s. temple is like already integrated. Uh-huh. That seems very attractive to people. Um, and by 1970, the temple has opened branches in San Fernando, San Francisco, and Los Angeles. So they've really um, expanded. Uh-huh. And he starts kind of shifting his focus to major cities in California because there aren't many opportunities in ukiah to really expand um and eventually he moves the headquarters to san francisco oh san francisco and by 1973 the people's temple has reached 2570 members that's crazy and also here's something interesting did you know that harvey milk is a was a big big fan of jim jones i um feel like i have heard that yeah. and that we did an episode about him so really surprised me um he was just, very into his, like, radical socialism. Yeah, like, knowing yeah. the things that Harvey Milk believed in. It was in the before type of, they, they moved the group out to, the, yeah, before and, that. And, yeah. like, you know, knowing the um, type of politician that Harvey was, too, like, yes. that doesn't really surprise me at all. Yeah. Well, yeah. speaking of which, um, when they get to San Francisco, Jim is very active in politics. Mm-hmm. Um, and he starts, really, to get an in with a lot of prominent local and state politicians. Um, and... He and his group actually play a really instrumental role in George Moscone's election as mayor in 1975, and this was a big deal. He was, like, a very liberal candidate. Uh-huh. Um, and they would come out in droves. They yeah. were well known for, um, you, need, you need people to rally? Yeah. Done. You get yeah. 200. Got it. Yeah. Easy. They were very well known for that. Yeah. Um, and after this election, Moscone actually appoints Jim Jones as the chairman of the San Francisco Housing Authority That's Commission. crazy to think about. Again, I again, know. knowing what we know, just knowing that his name is on government documents yeah. with those titles is like, oh, God, makes you want to throw up. Well, speaking of knowing what we know, uh-huh. 
while they're in California, this is when Jim Jones um, takes his first opportunity to practice a poisoning. Okay. He gathers his like inner circle, some of his closest followers, and he says, have some wine. They don't usually drink wine. So they're like, oh, okay. Mm-hmm. So they all drink up. And he says, I was poisoned. You have about an hour to live. And they panic. Uh-huh. Of course. Um, and then after he lets them freak out for a while, he says, there was nothing in that. You're fine. And this is his first test of, like, how much can I control this group of people? Because remember, crazy. he's on drugs now. Uh-huh. He's buying into his own crap. Uh-huh. And he is very paranoid. Uh-huh. He's extremely paranoid. That everyone's out to get him. And he cannot go alone. Uh-huh. So he's starting to see how much control he can really exert yeah over these people um and this eventually because this is like the first of many drills and tests and Uh we're going to talk a little bit more about them later i'm sorry this is a long episode yeah um there's still a lot to go so apologies um okay so because he's gaining a lot of visibility in california this means media attention and interest in the people's temple um, in October of 1971, reporters cover one of his divine healing services uh-huh. um, while he is actually visiting his old church in Indianapolis. And the news report leads to an investigation by the Indiana State Psychology Board into his healing practices oh, in, wow. 19, in around 1972. Huh. Um in 1973, Ross Case, who was a former follower of Jim Jones, um, starts working with a group in Ukiah to investigate the People's okay. Temple. They uncover, he got too big for his britches. Yes, yeah. they uncover one of the staged healings. Uh-huh. They, they find out that Say was a that fraud. Yeah. Um, and, the, and the abusive treatment of a woman in the church. Um, and also evidence that Jones had sexually assaulted a male member of his con- congregation. So oh. they have evidence now. And he got too big for his britches. There's some heat. So in 1973, he's like, we, are, we have to get out of the U.S., so he go. He decides Guyana is the place to go because he's been there already. Uh-huh. He knows the people speak English. There's nobody for miles in certain parts of it. Uh-huh. So they go to f- scout an area uh-huh. for their new commune. And by 1974, he has purchased land and supplies. They've installed a power generation station in the jungle in Guyana. Um, and he goes back to California and, like, leaves some folks there to start setting up uh-huh. and then in march of 1977 um marshall kilduff who is a reporter um publishes a story in new west magazine exposing a lot of the abuses of the people's temple um a bunch of defectors had gone to him uh-huh. and said here's, here's what's story, going on yeah. and they wrote a big story about it um and this is kind of the last straw for jim he's uh-huh. like we have to go mm-hmm. Um, now, while they're out there setting up, they're taking video and stuff, and they're sending it back to uh-huh. the people in California and saying, look how wait wonderful yeah. it is here. We can't wait for you to come and join us. So they're, like, excited to go. Uh-huh. Um, and he kind of starts um, slowly uh, sending people out there. Yeah. Um, he has about 50 settlers at the start of 1977. Um and it's not ready to handle the influx of people that uh-huh. he is about to send out there. He starts moving their assets out to Guyana. 
um, and then starts bringing people over in small groups. Now, when they arrive, so they fly into Georgetown uh-huh. to get there, and then you have to fly into another little airport, and then you go by, like, truck or whatever. Uh-huh. When they get in Georgetown, their passports are seized. Uh-huh. They cannot go home uh-huh. unless Jim allows them to. Oh, God. Um, and for the first several months, the temple members work six days a week, from about 6.30 a.m. to 6 p.m. To finish creating the settlement. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And they're, you know, building gardens and stuff. Um, after the workday ends, the members then would attend several hours of activities in their pavilion that they've built. Uh-huh. Classes in socialism, you know. Because um, part of one of the cult tactics is wear them down. Yeah. 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 Um, and he also installs, like, a PA system. And he, the longer they stay there, the more he's on this system. And he is constantly talking, talking and preaching. Uh-huh. And he records everything. Hours, yeah. He records everything that goes on there. Um, back in the U.S., several defectors uh-huh. start, and their families, form a concerned relatives group. Sure. Because um, they have family members in Jonestown who are not being allowed. Oh, yeah, because now they've called the settlement Jonestown. They're not being allowed to come home. Uh-huh. Um, they start meeting with members of Congress. They're begging them to look into the practices there because they uh-huh. know they're abusive. Uh-huh. Um, but now it's out of the country, so it's much harder for them to act. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but California Congressman Leo Ryan takes an interest. And Leo Ryan is very, if you don't know the story, he's a very important figure in this story. Mm. He is well known to be like a roll up your sleeves kind of lawmaker. He uh-huh. had actually um, spent a period of time living as a prisoner in Folsom Prison to oh. see what the conditions the were like. Were... So he's this kind of okay, yeah, person. Yeah, yeah. And we're going to come back to him. <clears throat> it's like, this is a stupid reference. <laughs> oh, no. Get a clue. Mm-hmm. At the end of the movie. <laughs> when the homeless guy comes into the room. And he's like, it was me all And he's along. like the mayor of the town. Yeah, yeah. And these people were so kind to me. And they're me. like, oh, it's wow. Him. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's so Sorry. Funny. I don't know why that That's was great. That was the reference I love that. That's one of my, my favorite um, yeah. TV movies. Same. Okay, so back in Jonestown, yet again, Jim is becoming more and more paranoid. He is still taking a lot of drugs. And he is now, he knows that Congress is, is aware of him uh-huh. and he is certain there will be a government raid on Jonestown. He starts holding drills to test their readiness uh-huh. for this impending raid, raid and he calls them white nights, night as in like time of day. Uh-huh. Um he would get on the loudspeaker and say alert 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 and this signaled that everybody would go to the pavilion. Armed guards with guns and crossbows would surround it. Sometimes he'd send them out into the jungle to shoot and, like, simulate. Uh-huh. Um, and there's one drill in September of 1977 that lasts for six days. That they're stuck in that pavilion. They call it the six-day siege. Uh-huh. Um, and... Do they, like, you know, barricade themselves in or something? Like, Yeah, kind of. Yeah. And he, of course, sees this as, like, we are very strong. And, yeah. You know. um, 
Yeah, so there are a couple of visits um, to Jonestown by United States Embassy personnel to, uh, like, check on what's going on. But I'm sure they're playing it up as, oh, look at our beautiful coffee. Yeah, and yeah. there is an IRS investigation in early 1978, and this just makes him more Apparently, sure yeah. that there is going to be, like, an attack on their group. Um, in 1978, during one of the White Knight drills, he tells his followers that he is going to distribute poison for everyone to drink in an uh-huh. act of suicide uh-huh. um they make a batch of fruit punch and they serve it to everyone who by the way are weeping mm. and waiting for death they uh-huh. drink it and after some time passes he says it's just a drill it's not gonna happen and this would happen yeah often at yeah. least a couple more times he did the the poison the drill. Dr- yeah yeah um so by that's 19- extra scary. Like, ugh. Yeah, Amanda, yeah. I'm gonna get emotional talking about it. Yeah. I always do. Yeah. So by 1978, the commune is really deteriorating. Uh-huh. People are overworked and they are underfed because it is not good. So they can't actually grow anything there. Uh-huh. So they are having things ordered in and you can see in some of the videos that he's like sending back to people at home he's Uh like look at all these bananas that we've grown here there are tags on the bananas Uh like he's ordering them in and trying to tell people Uh they grew them um and they're being constantly abused if people disobey the punishment is public humiliation Uh and again there's tapes of this and i do not recommend Uh it's awful it's awful to listen to um, and his health is rapidly deteriorating. He, like, has some small strokes. Mm. He's losing a lot of weight. He's on quaaludes and barbiturates and other stimulants. Yeah. Um, he's not doing great. By the way, his mom followed him the whole way. Sure, of course And she Marcy went, too, yeah. although she, you know, wanted to leave him at one point. And it, it, she just kind of – it was bad. It's, like, clearly – the definition of like an abusive relationship, yeah. you know. Um, okay, so it's about to get really violent and sad. Okay. So if anybody wants to drop out now, we get it. I get it. In November of 1978, Congressman Leo Ryan leads a fact finding mission to Jonestown to see what the operation is like. He, um, the delegation includes relatives of Temple members who are there, uh-huh. an NBC camera crew. And reporters for several newspapers. So they arrive in Georgetown mm-hmm. on November 15th. And then two days later is when they arrive in Jonestown. Uh-huh. Um, they are greeted by a big reception. They pull out all the stops. Suddenly they've got a lot of food. Yeah. And they feed them this big meal. They are singing. There's video of it because uh-huh. there are reporters. There uh-huh. are cameras. They're singing and dancing. And, um, you know, at the end of it, Congressman Ryan gets up. And says to, on the mic, like, you know, this seems like you guys seem happy here. Mm-hmm. You seem like you're having a good time. And the way the crowd reacts, Amanda, is like, watching it is like, whoa. Yeah. Because they are just cheering. And you're sitting there like, I can't believe what's about to happen. Uh-huh. It, I mean, it's wild. Um, so, you know, it seems okay. Mm-hmm. And then after the reception, a member of the temple named Vernon Gosney, or Gosney, I can't, Gosney, I think, tries to pass a note. He mistakes one of the, like, cameramen or reporters for Congressman Ryan and uh-huh. thinks he's giving it to him. Uh-huh. And he tries to pass him a note saying that he he and his wife want, want to, to leave. leave. 
and he drops it. Mm. And a child nearby sees it and uh-huh. is like, he passed a note, he passed a note. Because clearly they've been trained to yeah. say, somebody's to trying call to people out, yeah. to tell. Um, and then there's like a the shift. different, yeah. And Congressman Ryan knows like something Something's is wrong. very wrong yeah. here. So Congressman Ryan and a couple other people stay at Jonestown overnight. Uh-huh. Some of the other people go, go to another town to stay elsewhere. Yeah. And overnight, 11 members escape into the jungle. They run away. Because they know something's about to happen. Yeah. Um, and then the next day, the rest of the delegation come back. And more members start approaching them, asking them to As help them leave. Yeah. Um, again, there's video of the reporters, like, interviewing people and saying, like, What's going what on? I understand is you are telling me uh-huh. on this day you want to leave. And they're saying, yes, I would like to go. Uh-huh. And then a sudden violent storm comes through. And one of the survivors in several interviews said, like, I just felt like evil itself blew right into our valley. And after the storm settles, more people start saying, Uh I would like to leave. Uh They interview Jim. He's on camera. Uh They show him the note. Uh Someone gave this to me last night. Uh He's, people lie. He says, people lie, my friend. (laughs) They don't want to go anywhere. Uh And so he knows now. And you can see, it's like a switch flips. And he's like, well, it's happening now. Yeah. They're all going to try and leave me. So they're trying to sort out who's going. So most of the delegation gets onto a truck um, to go back to the Port Kai, Kaituma. Kaituma, I think is how you say it. Um, airstrip, which is what you fly into. Uh-huh. And they're taking a few defectors. And Ryan and another member of the delegation stay behind to process any additional defectors. Uh-huh. And Oh, it's awful. There's this man who wants to leave and he wants to take his kids, but his wife wants to stay and she doesn't want to. And there's a video of her just screaming, can't take the children. Don't take those kids. Don't take those kids. Uh He's trying to sort this out. Uh And while he is standing there, a member of the temple grabs Congressman Ryan and puts a knife to his neck. He gets disarmed, uh-huh. and Ryan is not harmed at that moment. Um, but then the other person that's with him is like, you have to go now. Uh-huh. You can't stay, and you have to go right Somebody's now. Somebody's going to kill you. So yeah. he jumps onto the truck, and um, one of the most senior members um, of Jones's temple also gets on the truck. He says, I want to go. Uh-huh. Um, Larry Layton is his name. He decides he wants to go with them. Uh-huh. And people are like, that's, that's, yeah. So they head Probably because he knows what's coming. Well, yeah. They head back. <clears throat> they get to the airstrip and they had initially scheduled one 19 passenger plane to take them back to Georgetown. They can't fit everybody on the plane. Uh-huh. So now they need another one and they have to wait. Larry Layton is on the first plane that loads up and... The aircraft is set for takeoff. They have taxied to the far end of the airstrip. And he pulls out a handgun and starts shooting. Oh, my gosh. He wounds two of the people on the plane, and he is disarmed. Uh Um, Now, the rest of the group is still on the airstrip waiting to board the other plane. 
and unbeknownst to them, a tractor and trailer have pulled up full of temple members uh-huh. called the Red Brigade. Brigade. It's like the security squad. Uh-huh. And they open fire uh-huh. on the airstrip. Uh-huh. Um, I didn't think I'd get emotional this soon. <laughs> With shotguns, handguns, mm-hmm. rifles. There, one of the cameramen kept filming. Yeah. So there is video of part sure. of it. And he was killed. Uh-huh. Many of them were killed. And Leo Ryan is shot more than 20 times. Oh my god. And he's obviously killed. Yeah. So, back at Jones... Okay, so first of all, the other plane that was loaded up, uh-huh. they take off. Uh-huh. They leave. They escape. Uh-huh. Um, and the rest of them are left to just kind of sit there till help comes. Uh-huh. They've got people injured. Some of them go hide in the jungle mm-hmm. um, until they know, like, coast is clear. Um, so that is another plane coming still. Yes. Despite well, all no, that. The other plane had gotten there. Oh, okay. Um, but they hadn't loaded up or anything yet. And some of the people who opened fire got at and circled the plane. So they couldn't take off. Yeah. Um, so back at Jonestown, um, after Ryan, Ryan's um, delegation leaves, um, Marcy gets on the loudspeaker and says, like, everything's okay. Go back to your homes and just wait there. Um, but some of Jim's aides start preparing a large metal tub with grape flavor aid, poisoned with just a cocktail of stuff, and cyanide is mm-hmm. one of the things that's mm-hmm. in it. Um, he actually asks one of them at one point, is there any way to make it taste less bitter? Because he didn't want it to taste bad. Yeah. And he asked, it's like prepared by their in-house doctor. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, and he asks him, like, will it be peaceful and quick? And he's like, yeah, but it's cyanide. Yeah. I don't know if you guys know this. Cyanide is not peaceful or no, quick. No, it's not. About 30 minutes after Marcy had told everybody to go home, Jim comes on and makes an announcement, tells them all to come to the pavilion. I was emotional typing. I yeah. get I get really emotional every time I think about it because it's awful. Yeah. And you will never hear me call this a mass suicide because yeah. it was not. It was not. It was a murder. Yes. Yeah. So once they're inside, he tells them, it's time. Mm-hmm. We're going to commit, he calls it, revolutionary suicide. And one of the members, Christine Miller, gets up and says, we, why, were we, why would we do this? Why would we do There are kids here. Uh-huh. Shouldn't they live their lives? And she says, couldn't we escape to the Soviet Union? Because, by the way, he's been telling them this whole time that he's in talks with the Soviet Union right. to get them there. And guess what the Soviet Union said? Absolutely not. Ha! Yeah, right. You they were too communist for the Soviet Union. Yeah, yeah. They didn't want them. They were laughing at them. Yeah. So she's saying, like, we shouldn't do it. But then another more loyal member stands up and says... You're only here because of Jim Jones. We'll, we, we'll are happy to do it. He says, let's make it a beautiful day. And then, of course, other loyal members start kind of piling on. Uh-huh. Um, gosh. So the order is given 
for the children to go first. Yeah. Because the parent, you have to give it to, they're not going to yeah. take it. And they say that the parents who want to go with their children can uh. do it then, too. Um, so, Temple member Odell Rhodes says that reportedly the first person to take the poison is Ruletta Paul and her one-year-old infant. Uh-huh. And a syringe without a needle Ugh. is used to feed it, put it into the baby's mouth. And then she squirted one into her own. Mm-hmm. Um, and after they started taking the poison, people were escorted away down a wooden walkway leading outside the pavilion. And some of them said, like the survivors, some of them said, we thought it was another drug. Yeah. At first. Yeah. Um, it kills the children in around five minutes, mm-hmm. which is a long time. Yeah. Less for the babies. Uh-huh. And for the adults, it takes them about 20 to 30 minutes yeah. to die. Um, there's a member who is in a lot of the documentaries who was away at the time because... Um, he had been given an assignment, uh-huh. and he came back to find his <sighs> wife poisoning his uh-huh. child. Yeah, like came and back when it was happening. She was injecting it, mm-hmm. and then she took it, and he just sat there and had to like hold them. Yeah, it's terrible. It is like it was so many kids. Mm-hmm. It pisses me off. <laughs> yeah. Um. So. Rhodes, that same member that I was talking about before, said that most of them kind of quietly waited for their turn. It, they couldn't leave. Because remember... There are armed there guards. There are armed guards. So basically, either you drink the poison or you get shot with a crossbow yeah. or a gun. Yeah. Those are your choices. Yeah. Um, well, and they've also been lied to that this will be a peaceful death anyway. Yeah. So to, to them, that's the better option. And um, yeah. They said that some of the members sort of walked around like they were in a trance. Yeah. One of their survivors said that um, it's possible that the earlier lunch that they had might have been also uh, laced with sedatives uh, because that had happened in a previous practice. Mm-hmm. So they were much more To make docile. people more susceptible anyway. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Jim Jones was later found dead um, lying next to his chair in the pavilion with his head cushioned on a pillow. Mm-hmm. And he died of a gunshot wound to the head. So he did not take the, the poison. poison. No, of course he didn't. And it's not totally clear. The medical examiner said that it was consistent with him having um, taken his own life. But um, it could have been another his member. son, Stephen, has speculated that it could have possibly been someone else that might have done it for him. Mm-hmm. Now, his sons were not there. Because they were away um, Leaving playing. the churches? No. no. They were playing um, with the People's Temple basketball team in Georgetown at the time. So they just Of the visit, they just weren't even there. Yeah. And um, they heard about it, and mm. they actually drove to the U.S. Embassy in Georgetown to tell the authorities that it had happened. The the basketball team? The boys, the, ones, the brothers. Yeah, that ended the up sons. telling them that it happened. Yeah, not That's the whole team, just right. the sons. That's crazy. So, um, 909 people were killed in the poisoning. That's an, that's and a, an insane number of people. There's also, like, you know, there was an order given to other families at other bases to end their lives, and one family did. It was very violent. Mm-hmm. Um, 
And that does this death toll also does not include the people who were killed at the airstrip. So it was closer, or the people from the other places. Yeah, it was yeah. closer to, to like nine nine eighteen or okay. something. It something like that. Yeah. I can't remember exactly. Um, when they brought people in to examine the scene, how was it? How was it found out? Well, the brothers went and told the embassy. But how did they find out that it happened? Um, I think they, I don't know exactly. They heard from someone that there was some the order had been given or something. And then you've also said survivors. Like, did some people yeah, so not some take people, enough? Some people escaped through the jungle. There, while it was all happening. Mm-hmm. And then so they could have alerted somebody. Yeah, they might, yeah, yeah, probably. A few people, not a ton, but some yeah. people were, did manage to escape through right. the jungle. Um, and some were, just happened to be out having been given assignments uh-huh. to do other things. Uh-huh. But you said there was a survivor who was, like, waiting. Like, did he not take enough? Or no, like... he came during. He showed up during it, and he didn't take any. Because he, was he... he like, was able to... Uh-huh. He just, he didn't participate. Yeah. And by that point, it was chaotic. And yeah. also, again, if you watch, like, a documentary about this, you he taped... Of course he did. Yeah, it's like a forty-four minute tape, no and it will be yeah. in the documentary. So just yeah. be aware. It, it's awful. Yeah, you can't unhear it. Yeah, I mean, again, like I'm gonna get emotional because it's so. Like you can hear the distress. Yeah, that everybody's and he under. is <sighs> speaking so calmly the whole no, time. He is saying, uh-huh. "Hurry, hurry," and then he says. Don't be this way. Ugh. Die with some dignity. Don't be this way. He's like pleading with them uh-huh. as if they're doing something to him. Yeah. I've never heard anything like it. You don't listen to it. It's awful. Yeah. It's awful. Um, And they said when they came in, they hel- some people, like the U.S. authorities helicoptered in. Uh-huh. And there's footage of it. And the people who were there said that um, that it looked like confetti on the ground. Oh, yeah. Because there was just so it was many just people. littered with bodies. Yeah. 900 people. Mm-hmm. Parents having, like, covered their children. Yeah. It's awful. Yeah. <laughs> it's terrible. They only examined, like, 200 of the bodies because they knew. Yeah. At that point, um, they knew what had happened. But yeah. at least 70 of them were found to have needle marks, some of them in the back, uh-huh. suggesting they had been injected, injected. Yeah. against their will. So, um, sorry. <laughs> it's so terrible. So the bodies are collected, and they are... Um, taken by the U.S. military in in Guyana, that's uh, stationed in Guyana. Uh-huh. Um, they transport them by military cargo to Dover Air Force Base in Delaware, which was a location that had been previously used for, the, for mass processing of the dead from the Tenerife Airport disaster. So they, like, had a system in place. Uh-huh. So they had to process. For disasters. They yeah. were fingerprinting all of these uh-huh. people, people and, to yeah. try to identify them. Um the bodies of more than 400 of the victims are buried in a mass grave at Evergreen Cemetery in Oakland, California. And in 2011, a memorial um, was erected there. Uh-huh. Um, there are investigations into the massacre um, conducted by the FBI and the U.S. Congress. 
um, mostly focusing on why authorities, especially the U.S. State Department, did not know about the abuses going on there. Um, Generally, the People's Temple did collapse shortly after. Um, Some people continued to follow the teachings during the 80s, 80s, excuse me, but it didn't last very long after that. Um, The compound is um, obviously deserted now in Jonestown um, in Guyana, but it was actually, for a while, the Guyanese government tended to it, um, and they allowed, um, I can't remember how to say this name, Hmong, H-M-O-E-N-G, from Laos refugees, to um, live there when they were... Because at least it was a facility that was functional. Yeah, for a few years in the 80s, Um, and... Later on, the buildings and the grounds were looted by, you know, the Guyanese people. Sure. Um, and eventually, they just kind of let it Fall die into out. disrepair. Um, disrepair, yeah. And the buildings are mostly destroyed by a fire in the mid-80s. Um, and then the ruins were just, like, decayed in Left. the jungle. Yeah. Um, last little point here. In 1998, ABC did a 2020 segment. Uh-huh. Um, about it and jim jones jr um and his brother Stephen also went they go uh-huh to like back to the site mm-hmm, and jim jones jr uh actually finds the remains of an oil drum near the former entrance that he recognizes as the one that had been used um for other drills and he assumed it was used for that's crazy that um that he like finds that mm-hmm. whoa yeah God. So that's Jonestown. Yeah. It's really depressing. I'm sorry, you guys. It was like I mean, it's very emotional, but it's, d- it's an important event. Yeah, and I, We're, I think it's important to talk about it in the context of like people call it a mass suicide. It, it was wasn't. not. I've I have always heard it called the Jonestown massacre. massacre. Yes, yeah. but often you know, in like shorthand and stuff, they'll say like the mass suicide yeah. by you know the Jonestown cult or whatever yeah. but it that is not what that. happened yeah. and you will not hear a single um surviving or ex member ever call, call it, it that, that no. because they know it they were trapped there mm. and jones was so deeply i mean it was all about his inability to admit defeat and he would not go alone yeah well, I also Other think, leaders have ended their own lives. Yeah, He was not interested in that. I also think it's really important when we talk about the history of cults and cult tactics. Mm-hmm. Like, investigating the psychology of that yeah. and the historic, um, like, implications of that. Yeah. And I think that it is an important point to discuss in that also. Yes. Um, because it allows you to investigate a lot of that um, yeah. mindset of both of the leaders and of the people um, and I think it makes it easier for us to see yes. those types of things yeah. now. Before like, it gets we are bad. able to catch things now because that happened. Well, and the worst thing is, like, when you saw a video of them and stuff, like, the members were happy. Uh-huh. And they were not bad people. Mm-mm. And they didn't believe bad things. And so many of them I have mean, just been exploited into being there. Yes. Like, yeah. but, but what they all believed was, like, they wanted peace uh-huh. and they wanted equality for people unlike them uh-huh. and were people like themselves uh-huh. they you know black folks found a home mm-hmm. in this church and church quotes it's just 
for them to be so thoroughly exploited like that is because of his own ego and yeah. fear yeah and paranoia and that's when you see that's when you look back and you see oh all this stuff he did all this whole time no matter how good it, was it seems all about was all for him his personality yeah. and his yeah yeah it was bizarre mm. and terrible yeah it's a wild thing that happened yeah yeah so that's just yeah it's jonestown Sorry for a heavy one, guys. Yeah. Um, but sometimes history is heavy. Yeah, that is true. So we t- generally try to keep it light, yeah. but we are also interested. Like the whole point of this podcast is for us to speak about things yeah. that we are interested in, and we are sometimes also interested in things that are a little less fun, very sad, yeah. um, but are still like important to discuss. Yeah, and so I think it is worth the time to take to talk about them. So yeah. it was a long one. Thank you if you made it this far. Yeah, I appreciate it. Um, next time, who knows? Something, well, it'll be June. Oh, yeah, it's Pride. That's right. Oh. I forgot what month it okay, was. Okay, thank God. Okay, we're out of, we're out of the darkness. <laughs> we'll do some Pride. We're going to talk about Pride. Yeah. 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 I forgot what month it was. So, yes, yes, it will be Pride Month next month, and we will have episodes themed to that. I'm very excited about my episode. Yeah, it's going to be a good one next time. Yeah. Do you want to say what it is, or do you want to wait? Um, If you want to preview, watch the movie Pride. There you go. It's on Amazon. It's great. Yeah. Yeah. So get ready to celebrate Pride Month, uh-huh. folks. Um, yeah, that's kind of all I got. I'm yeah. tired now. Yeah, it's time to um, be done. So if you want to find me on the internet, you can – wait, that's not right. If you want to send us other topic suggestions or if you have questions, you can email us at rememberthatpod at gmail.com. See, I couldn't even remember what I was supposed to say. Yeah. Um, you can find us on Instagram at rttpod. And if you would leave us a rating and review wherever you listen to this podcast, that would be great. You can find me on the internet at the real Anna Webb. And I'm at ACW Nerdfighter. And I'm so sorry that I sound like this. It's gotten worse and well, worse. Well, I'm as sorry the I progressed. cried in the episode. We're all in this <laughs> together. And until next time. Remember that time. <laughs>